Thank you, Sangha. I love the way you all take care of me <laughs> as I embark on this particular uh, journey this evening. So thank you for that. Um, I really wanted to talk about equanimity tonight, but compassion kept calling me. So I had to turn towards it and uh, understand that there must be an asking energetically for some further investigation of compassion. So that's what I'm going to speak to this evening. So an opening quote by Christina Feldman. And, you know, one of the other things is um, uh, myself, and I think actually many of us that are here, we're maybe not Devin, just solely for Devin, but I'm totally homegrown. Like my teachers were these folks, Eugene, Joseph, Jack. Haven't sat with uh, any Asian teachers other than Utejania because he comes here um, and many of their teachers are no longer in this reality, so didn't have an opportunity. So a lot of uh, my quotes and, and what I'm pulling through in terms of stories are, are homegrown stories. So just wanted to context that a little bit. So this quote by Christina Feldman. Love asks you to let go. Compassion asks you to let go. Our capacity to be wholeheartedly present for anyone or anything in this world asks us to release our longing for how things used to be and our yearning for a better future. Letting go frees us to take our seat firmly in this moment and in the truth of loss and change. Letting go frees us of the burden of obsessing about what used to be and what might be in the future. Our willingness to let go of what should be liberates us to embrace what is. This is one of the hardest lessons for us to learn and the lesson that none of us can avoid in this life. Most of us discover through reflection that the places we resist and cling to most tenaciously are also the places we suffer most acutely. They are the places we feel most imprisoned in, in a world governed by self and disconnected from others. Compassion is a release from that imprisonment and a healer of separation. Letting go does not leave you marooned in indifference or apathy. We are not asked to let go of our love or bonds of commitment and care. We are learning step by step, moment by moment, to let go of suffering and separation. Our capacity to find a boundless compassion is released by our capacity to let go. So it's really quite um, cool to be given this Dahmer talk on January 1st, 2019. Guess it'll be a little memorable for me, I don't know. And we're really stepping into this maiden voyage, you know. This is really the true understanding of beginning again. And as Eugene spoke to, I think it was this morning or maybe it was last night, um, you know, that these bodies and these conditions have never been here before, and each moment is a moment anew. So, so far in these five days that we've been together, um, notwithstanding all the nature that's been around us, have you noticed the sun and the stars, the animals and the insects, the warmth and the cold, maybe even the ancestors, our own and those of this lineage? other beings seen and unseen, all gathered to support us in our efforts towards self-understanding and to find a good enough placement in the world to support our well-being. All of us here, joining our intentions to establish and nurture our practices as we move forward towards wisdom, freedom, and sustained joy. So, you know, why even bother, you know? Been lots of suffering, you know, been hearing lots of 
challenges and difficulties, some ease and some joy too. You know, but why do we do this thing called meditation? Why do we come on these retreats? Bhante Gunaratana says that meditation is called the great teacher. It is the cleansing crucible fire that works slowly but surely through understanding. The greater our understanding, the more flexible and tolerant we become, the more compassionate we can be. We can feel love towards others because we understand them. And we understand others because we have come or in the process of understanding ourselves. We are looking deeply inside and are seeing self-illusion and our human failings, seeing our humanity and our learning to forgive and love. When we have learned compassion for ourselves, compassion for others is automatic. He also says meditation is like cultivating new land. So to make a field out of forest, first you have to clear the trees and pull out the stumps. Then you till the soil and fertilize it, sow your seeds and harvest your crop. To cultivate mind, first we clear out the various irritants that are in the way, pulling them out by the root so they won't grow back. Then we fertilized, we pump energy and discipline into the mental soil. Then we sow the seed and harvest the crops of faith, morality, mindfulness, and wisdom. Faith, knowing that something is true because we've seen it work, because we have observed it within ourselves. Morality, a healthy habit pattern that we have consciously and intentionally chosen to cultivate because we recognize its superiority to present behaviors and habit patterns. Then he also informs us that a purpose of meditation, a purpose of meditation, is personal transformation. Meditation changes character by a process of sensitization, by training us to be deeply aware of our own thoughts, words, and deeds. Arrogance evaporates, and antagonism dries up. Mind becomes still and calm. Life smooths out. We become prepared to meet the ups and downs of existence. Tension, fear, and worry are reduced. Restlessness recedes and passion moderates. Life becomes a glide instead of a struggle. All this we can access through understanding. And lastly, Bhante G says, meditation sharpens our concentration and our thinking power. Piece by piece, our own subconscious motives and mechanics become clear to us. Intuition sharpens. The precision of our thoughts increases and gradually we come to a direct knowledge of things as they really are, without prejudice, without illusion. So does that sound like some of the water that we've been swimming in for the past five days? So one of the things I want to elucidate um, <laughs> is the first noble truth. Ajahn Sumedho says the good of suffering. When we fully accept dukkha, we can discover distance from the difficulties. The way out of suffering is the way through. To let go of suffering, we have to admit it into consciousness. Now, I know that we all understand that first noble truth, maybe all four of them, cognitively. 
but for a moment, can you pause and take a look at how the unfolding of this retreat has been for you and recognize the points where we forget this most basic and simplistic teaching that the Buddha gave. You know, as I said the other day, I I doubt this was a man that minced words. I doubt that this was a man that wasted words. So if he says there's suffering, there's suffering. (laughs) But we're spending all this time and effort and energy resistant to that knowing, resistant to that fact, and opening to this is part of the price we pay for being embodied until we come to know the ways and the means for mitigating or moderating that. Can we stop trying to avoid or change or outrun it? Practicing knowing that we know. When we know that we know, we know it. It's not an intellectual understanding. Yeah, that does sound like a Eugenism, doesn't it? (laughs) Letting the body be comfortable and the mind relaxed. Checking our attitude of mind. Ajahn Sumedho also says, consider meditation and the unfolding of wisdom more like a marathon than a sprint. Be willing to learn from everything. This practice is for life. And I know that that's a deep conditioning for us uh, here in the United States, this non-ability to be patient. And I think that a lot of what's been showing up for folks is knowing that there's something else that's possible, but having a great deal of difficulty with tolerating the way there. But it's unavoidable, unescapable until we have the wisdom and the practice and the knowledge to know how to engage with these difficulties of life. So we've been learning these tools for transforming suffering into joy. Also coming to know and understand that life is inseparable from suffering. Oftentimes feeling the ouch of the suffering And stemming from that, ouch, the call to know. I think another dynamic that also exists with all of us in here, for some of us, maybe more recent histories than others, but a piece of what we carry and what we walk with and what we work with is not just our own dynamic of suffering, but the intergenerational and ancestral suffering that sits beside us or maybe is inculcated in our systems as well. And part of the joy of that is to know we're the ones. Like we're the ones to shift that. We're the ones to make a difference in our own families, in our own histories, in our own ancestry. Not that you have to do anything with anybody, But just by healing and having the awareness within one's own self, this is one of the indigenous beliefs, we heal seven generations back and seven generations forward. So good business we're up to here. You know, maybe that can impact the world. So we've been working in the instructions and the... uh, kind of foundational components of practice with the four foundations of mindfulness. And everything that we've been engaged with are tools and aspects of being with the self, the body, the mind, the heart, such that we come to know the conditions which support us in being well and also support us in being engaged, in being in relationship, out of isolation. In each moment, we're always getting started. If we can bring both awareness and wisdom to each moment in a continuous and sustained way, then nature will take over. I've been talking to some of you about nature. 
That's one of my things. One of the practices that I'm grounded in is the Thai forest practice, lineage. And this forgetting, forgetting what's available and what we can access by being in relationship with the earth, with the sky, with water. And not just being engaged with it, but leaning and inclining into this understanding of connection. You know, we are not outside of that. We are nature beings. You know, so when you think about um, the various vicissitudes of nature, sometimes it's exquisite and beautiful and uh, joyful and lovely. And sometimes it's disastrous and there's tragedy, and there's trauma. So why should we exist outside of that? You know, the, 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 the advantage, or I don't even know if it's an advantage, maybe it's not an advantage, but the advantage that we have over our other animal brothers and sisters is because of the uh, brain that exists in this system. We actually can do something about that knowledge, do something about that truth, that things change and sometimes they're uh, great and sometimes they're not, operating from a level other than instinct. So be aware. Reveal some wisdom and hold it all with compassion. Sharon Salzberg says, spirituality is the movement from our prison of self-blame and preoccupation to an inclusive and open engagement with all of life. In many ways, a spiritual path is essentially about connection, a deep connection to our own inherent capacity for wisdom and love no matter what, a connection to a bigger picture of life no matter what. What? We can easily go from morning until night disconnected, not only from genuine contact with others, but also from more fundamental and loving aspects of our own hearts. Spiritual practices of meditation, generosity, service, gratitude, and loving kindness not only turn this tendency around towards genuine connection, they also become the manifestation of a free mind. Spiritual life is a place where the means and the end are the same. One of the things that most nourishes true compassion is clarity. When we know what we are thinking and know what we are feeling. This clarity differentiates compassion from what might be thought of as a conventional kind of self-preoccupation when we can care only about ourselves and not about others. The Buddha said at one point that if we truly loved ourselves, we would never harm another. Because if we harm another, it is in some way diminishing who we are. It is taking away from rather than adding to our lives. Can you hear how radical this path is? You know, and how um, others don't have access to this possibility of freedom. Not that there aren't other ways of getting there. There certainly are. Um, but this is a tried and true way. There's evidence. As the Buddha also said, just as the dawn is the forerunner and the first indication of the rising sun, so is right view the forerunner and the first indication of wholesome states. Sharon goes on to say, our view of who we are and what we are capable of, what matters in the world, molds our intentions, which in turn mold our actions. 
And I think we're going to be hearing more about attentions, intentions and aspirations over the next couple of days. How we look at our lives becomes the basis for how we act and how we live and whether our choices are shaped by love and kindness. Transforming our understanding transforms our whole life, our happiness, our degree of connectedness, our freedom. None of these are fixed in the particular externals of who we are. They are held in the universal potential of what we might become. It is tempting to undertake a meditation practice or path of development with the same kind of clinging motivation with which we might take on anything else. Perhaps we feel empty inside. We feel bereft in some ways. We feel we are not good enough, and so we undertake spiritual practice to ameliorate all of that. Spiritual practice is not about having and getting. It's more about compassion towards ourselves and towards others. It is not about assuming a new self-image or manufactured persona. It is about being compassionate naturally out of what we see, what we understand. Compassion is like a mirror into which we can always look. It is like a stream that steadily carries us. It is like a cleansing fire that continually transforms us. Compassion for ourselves is the basis for our practice of compassion towards others. Christine Neff, a professor in human development at the University of Texas, I assume she's still there, I don't know, researches on self-concept development and specifically the development of self-compassion. She describes self-compassion as having three main components. Self-kindness versus self-judgment. A sense of common humanity versus isolation. And mindfulness versus over-identification. So kind of riffing on that, you know, it looks like or it sounds like there's always a choice. And as we work to clarify our minds, our bodies, and our hearts, as we allow the purification process to happen, as we engage the practice, hopefully it sets us up or supports us in making the choice that leads towards skillful means, making the choices that leads towards well-being as opposed to unwholesome choices that just cause more suffering. Bhantiji says if we try to act compassionately out of a sense of personal unworthiness or the belief that others are more important than we are, the true source of our actions is aversion for ourselves, not compassion for others. Did you all hear that? I have some church up in here. Okay. <laughs> if we offer help out of a sense of superiority or pity, I think when the four teachers spoke about this, um, who spoke about compassion? I don't remember. But who was it? Joe Zen. Yeah, sweet Joe Zen. Um, this, this, this sense of superiority actually creates the energetics of pity. And that's what the people that we're assisting or engaged with feel. They don't feel the help and the support. They feel the energetics of that pity. Our actions are often, when we're operating in that way, being motivated by pride. Genuine compassion arises from the tender heart we feel for our own suffering. As the Buddha said, investigating the whole world with my mind, never did I find anyone dearer than myself. Since oneself is dearer than others, one who loves oneself should never harm another. 
Be compassionate to where you are. This is the process of the heart stretching beyond old patterns of defensiveness and reactivity. That said by Larry Yang, one of my teachers. Can we spend some time cultivating compassion as we do cultivating dislikes, judgment, greed, anger, and ignorance. Each of us, in our own way, can try to spread compassion into people's hearts. Western civilization these days places great importance on filling the human brain with knowledge. But no one seems to care about filling the human heart with compassion. His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Bodhisattva Kuan Yin is the one who listens to the cries of the world. She has the quality of deep listening without judging or reacting and she has a great capacity of listening with compassion and true presence. When we listen and understand with our whole being, we can diffuse a lot of bombs. Would you consider this? That this practice is life-giving and restoring. That compassion is the armor that serves us to keep us well on this life walk in these gendered bodies with our ethnicities, sexual orientations, culture, class. That compassion is a responsive movement of the heart. That this compassion practice is incremental. So this compassion, this karuna in Sanskrit, which is compassion or empathy, which is the wish that others be free from suffering, as distinguished, this was one of the questions that we got in the basket, as distinguished from loving kindness or metta, which is the wish for others to be happy. So qualitatively, can you feel a bit of the difference there? The loving kindness being the wish for happiness and compassion being the wish for the relief of suffering. So some synonyms for compassion. Humanness, soft-heartedness, heart, tenderness, sympathy, humanity, grace. The Buddha taught that all humans are alike in their desire for happiness and love. This is so whether or not we use unskillful or skillful means in an attempt to find balance, peace, and happiness. The confidence, strength, and personal authority to right ourselves or balance ourselves when we encounter suffering and pain comes from a cultivated heart and mind which trains us and prepares us to meet the suffering and pain we encounter in relation to ourselves and other beings. A way to think of it is that compassion lies at the heart of what it means to be fully human. And it is what allows us to be at peace in the midst of pain and turmoil. It is an energetic response and not a mental idea. I have another teacher that teaches another practice in another practice called um, Focusing, Indigenous Woman from Canada, um, that teaches a kind of intervention, some tools for working with complex trauma, which is kind of like on the extreme of suffering. And one of the things that she says that... Uh, we are cultivating in that practice, which I think is also true of this practice, is that we learn how to sit in hell 
with a cup of tea and our feet up. (laughs) So these practices that we engage with can direct us and support us in moving in the world from that position such that we are grounded and well to meet whatever comes our way. We often find ourselves given the opportunity to engage with the task of finding the humility and the courage to open ourselves to our own or others' difficult and distressing circumstances and conditions. It's not easy. It takes intention, persistence, patience, and practice to move to holding it as a core value and creating or cultivating it as a being state. The first step in developing compassion is being able to recognize, to open to, and to acknowledge that pain and suffering exists for everybody, everywhere, everybody, everywhere, at some time or another. Some suffering is intense and terrible, and some is quiet and small, but is all suffering just the same. Compassion is the antidote for anger and bitterness. If you keep compassion alive in your listening and understanding, then anger and bitterness cannot arise. Compassion alone can keep us from becoming irritated, angry, or full of despair. Compassion is born from happiness and also from understanding. When compassion and understanding are alive in our hearts and minds, we are safe, whatever the circumstance or situation we might meet. Denial, resistance, aversion, turning away from this fact and seeing with an obtuse mind only prolongs and aggravates the inevitable struggle that can arise when we do not see clearly. With the cultivation of the qualities that incline the heart towards compassion, the compassionate heart-mind builds the capacity to withstand the turmoil that is often the result of clinging or grasping or any of the other visitors that can drop in when the mind becomes overwhelmed and clouded. A cultivated heart-mind increases our tolerance and willingness to meet challenges and difficulties and to truly know that this moment is like this unaffected by the storms created by greed, aversion, and delusion, and when effected, as will happen, we're able to regain balance and to stabilize our hearts and minds. A quote from Rumi, keep your eye on the bandaged places. That's where the light enters in. Even more difficult than acknowledging pain is opening to it. We may have to do it bit by bit, a little at a time without forcing or being contrived. We also don't want to construct the illusion that we can somehow control the suffering. When we do not feel in control, often what shows up is righteous anger a lot of that around these days or indignation or fear or grief the near enemy of compassion is pity which I've mentioned feeling superior to or in control of one's life and that the other person is out of control and they need to be able to do better the far enemy of compassion is cruelty Cruelty is the enjoyment of other people's suffering. 
even though it is clearly an opposite state from compassion, when we are lost in aversion, it can become hard to detect. Cruelty is devoid of mercy. Compassion practice is an effective way to expose latent, latent, latent cruelty. Yeah, we're not above that. We all have seeds of all of this that walk with us. There is a radiance that dawns within when compassion takes over where cruelty has been. When we have a bright, clear mind and can bring forward compassion as the trembling of the heart, it arises with the quality of equanimity, evenness of mind, even under stress, calm emotions when dealing with problems or pressure. Imagine a mind where there is no bitter condemning, no judgment of oneself or of others. This mind does not see the world in terms of good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil. It sees only suffering and the end of suffering. There are two ways of understanding the unfolding of compassion. One is to see compassion as the outcome of a path that can be cultivated and developed. The second way of understanding compassion is to see it as the natural embodiment of wisdom. Deep insight can reveal the emptiness of the notion of self and other. Compassion for ourselves give rise to the power to transform resentment into forgiveness, hatred into friendliness, and fear into respect for all beings. It allows us to extend warmth, sensitivity, and openness to the sorrows around us in a truthful and genuine way. At times, compassion may give rise to action, and at other times it will not. When you awaken your heart, you find to your surprise that your heart is empty. You find that you are looking into outer space. What are you? Who are you? Where is your heart? If you really look, you won't find anything tangible or solid. If you search for the weakened heart, if you put your hand through your ribcage and feel for it, there is nothing there but tenderness. You feel sore and soft, and if you open your eyes to the rest of the world, you feel tremendous sadness. This sadness doesn't come from being mistreated. You don't feel sad because someone has insulted you or because you feel impoverished. Rather, this experience of sadness is unconditioned. It occurs because your heart is completely open, exposed. It is the pure, raw heart, even if a mosquito lands on it. You feel so touched. It is this tender heart of a warrior that has the power to heal the world. Choigam Trungpa. The power of the compassionate heart of genuine compassion to transform the pain we encounter is extraordinary. And it is this passionate heart that we are being called to cultivate and bring forward to meet the demand of the suffering in our world today. It is only this deep, clear, empty heart that has the power and capacity that will meet the cries of the world. You get to define 
You get to choose that peace, that heart place and space that calls you to make a difference. Whether it be your own heart cultivation, your family, your community, your state, our country, the world. Where in there is the whisper? This is for you to do. This is where you become engaged. It is not always the loud clamoring of the suffering that demands our touch. The times are urgent. This is a prose by Bayo Akamalafe. The times are urgent. Let us slow down. A different urgency is called for in these moments. A broadening of the spectrum of action. A different kind of accountability. One which knows that love is not a bridge. Love is a hyphen. Different questions are alive right now. What would a politics of many streams and not just the mainstream look like? What needs to shift in order for genuine intercultural and interspecies dialogue to happen? How can we forgive ourselves without diminishing our complicity and entanglement in oppressive systems? In what ways do schools perpetuate an accepted form of violence on some children and an exclusionary notion of education? What strategies could help us assume postures of curiosity into the mysterious lives of humans and non-human others? What if this trauma of being inappropriated has something to tell us? What if we are stuck in a Cartesian iceberg and the quantum leap we can make is from asking how we change the world to how we are what the world is doing? What keeps stressing our lives? And what if these irritants are allies we have not yet met? It is time for a sacred activism, for asking new questions, for slowing down, for applying the wisdom and clarity of a cultivated heart-mind. The fearlessness of compassion leads us directly into the conflict and suffering of life. Fearless compassion recognizes the inevitable suffering of life and our need to face the suffering in order to learn. Sometimes only the fire of suffering itself and the consequences of our actions can bring us deeper understanding to feel kindness for all beings and to liberation. There is a certain flexibility needed to respond to changing circumstances, setting limits when necessary, and being flexible at the same time. Compassion allows life to pass through our hearts with its paradoxes of love, joy, and pain. When we hear the call of the compassionate heart, we give what we can to stop the war to protect the children, to heal the environment, to transform prejudice and oppression, to care for the poor, and yet true compassion also loves ourselves, respects our own needs, honors our limits and our true capacity. When genuine compassion and wisdom come together, we honor, love, praise, and include ourselves Instead of holding the ideal that we should be able to give endlessly with compassion for all beings 
accept me. We find compassion for all beings, including ourselves. Audre Lorde says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. The perception of separation between self and others transforms and drops away as we cultivate the habit of self-care as a wise way to spend our effort and as a doorway into connection. It is also an act of generosity to take the steps and measures to ensure we are well. To know our limit is part of our practice. We have to enjoy meditation. We must drink tea. We must mindfully breathe. We must visit with nature, the sky, the birds, the trees, the flowers, the children, whatever is refreshing, healing, and nourishing for us and around us. We must enjoy the company of happy people so that we get sufficient nourishment. Daily setting an intention for the cultivation of well-being through practice. The practice of nourishment is very important. We must remain balanced and therefore the daily practice of being in touch with elements that do not constantly express suffering is essential to the practice of compassion. We are able to come to this recognition through the understanding of this path and the application of clearly seeing and cultivating in courage and wisdom the mind-heart. In closing, I'll say, the perception of separation between self and others transforms and drops away as we cultivate the habit of self-care as a wise way to spend our effort and as a doorway into connection. It is also an act of generosity to take the steps and measures to ensure we are well. We are able to come to this recognition through the understanding of this path and the application of clearly seeing and cultivating in courage and wisdom. When genuine compassion arises, it moves through us as grace, bringing together a tenderness and fearlessness that could never come by any other means. Thank you for your listening. Let's sit for a few minutes. poem for you to close out this sit she let go she let go without a thought or a word she let go she let go of the fear she let go of the judgments she let go of the confluence of opinions swarming around her head she let go of the committee of indecision within her. She let go of all the right reasons, wholly and completely, without hesitation or worry. She just let go. She didn't ask for anyone's advice. She didn't read a book on how to let go. She didn't search the scriptures. She just let go. She let go of all of the memories that held her back. She let go of all of the anxiety that kept her from moving forward. 
She let go of the planning and of all the calculations about how to do it just right. She didn't promise to let go. She didn't journal about it. She didn't write the projected date in her day timer. She made no public announcement and put no ad in the paper. She didn't check the weather report or read her daily horoscope. She just let go. She didn't analyze whether she should let go. She didn't call her friends to discuss the matter. She didn't do a five-step spiritual mind treatment. She didn't call the prayer line. She didn't utter one word. She just let go. No one was around when it happened. There was no applause or congratulations. No one thanked her or praised her. No one noticed a thing. Like a falling leaf from a tree, she just let go. There was no effort. There was no struggle. It wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It was what it was, and it is just that. In the space of letting go, she let it all be. A small smile came across her face. A light breeze blew through her, and the sun and the moon shone forevermore. Reverend Sapphire Rose. Have some practice, whether it's practice sitting, practice chanting at night, or practice going to sleep. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.